two years ago, we wanted to go out and film this guy getting pulled behind an SUV on a snowboard. And so we like went out to the street, we built a ramp out of snow and like plywood. And then he like went, hit the jump, went up and scraped on something, came down and a cop literally drove right by us. And he just like, I watched him cause I was, I was up away from the group. So he passed them. And then by the time he got to me, he had turned back forward and he just started laughing to himself. From Cheese the House, this is Creative First, the show about the spark of creative leaders and how they discovered their passions, what inspires their work ethic, and the journey of getting paid to do what they love the most. I'm your host, Kelsey Cochran, and this week our guest is Kurt Schneider. He is a director and videographer located in the Midwest, and he's also the co-founder of the Eightfold Collective, which is a production agency based out of Detroit, Michigan. Kurt had a passion for storytelling way before realizing that he could make it into a career. And it wasn't until like near the end of college that he decided to truly dive into the industry as a young professional. And since making that leap, he has obviously co-founded Eightfold, which is awesome. He's done incredible work for Porsche, Pure Michigan, GMC, Dodge, and many more. And he's also begun writing again in preparation for the creation of some personal projects, which hopefully we'll be able to see very soon. I can't wait to share a story with you all and talk a little bit about how it can be really amazing to be a creator somewhere other than New York or LA. So let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to Creative First. I am your host, Kelsey Cochran, and I have an awesome guest today. His name is Kurt Schneider, and he is a director and filmmaker based in the greater Detroit area up in Michigan. So Kurt, welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to really just dive into it because I have a lot of questions for you today, but we'll start with just your background and how you found filmmaking and how you found your passion toward directing as well. So to start, like when did you begin realizing that you loved video work and you wanted to make a career out of it? I, I've always kind of wished I had the story of like, I came out the womb with of camera in my hands and I was just immediately knew I was going to be this auteur director, but that just wasn't my story. I did, I definitely found that I enjoyed storytelling at an early age. I would say I remember the earliest films I made was in probably fifth grade. I had a, a small camera for my parents that had a I don't even know what the cassette was called, but it had a small tape in it. And I didn't know how to edit, but I would just edit in camera. So we would go out there and make our own like street ball videos where we would, you know, a bunch of five foot white kids. And we, I would just like film my friend, like jumping towards the basket. And then I would cut and then rewind to that point and then film him hanging from the rim. So it looked like he dunked it. But it didn't look like he dunked it, which was part of the humor, I guess. But I don't know. I feel like I always, I never wanted to just hang out with my mm -hmm. friends. I remember so often us like sitting in the garage and we're bored. And I was always like, let's invent our own sport. Or often let's, let's go make a video. Let's film some. I always wanted to like create something. Yeah. And I never knew that it was the creation that I was after. I just like. You know, I'm ADD. I like 
I like to be on the move and I like to be productive, I guess. So yeah, that was definitely in me, but really what took over my life was sports. I was obsessed, especially with basketball. It was probably wasn't until like 10th grade that I finally could admit to myself that the NBA wasn't in the cards, but I, I genuinely believed I had a shot and yeah, I practiced like 24 seven. I loved it. And then I thought I'd at least play in college, but then I ended up doing um, track instead because I was just had better opportunities for that. And yeah, and then track ended and I was doing film through college. I double majored in film and marketing. I didn't really know what it could look like as a career. Obviously, I knew like that there were opportunities in Hollywood, but that road seemed so far away from me. I didn't really even know how I would start to work towards that unless I moved out there. So I was making short films for the university. And during that time, I met my now business partner, Nick, who had started Eightfold his sophomore or junior year of college and was just kind of running it like while he was a student and had built like a really impressive body of work and had been like having a lot of revenue that would surprise anybody for a college student to be having going through their system. And so I started with him and we, yeah, like when I started, he was kind of like, you might not make any money or you might make some money, but don't quit what, what else you're doing. So I continued like making films for the school and then things kind of just took off and I stopped doing stuff for the school and it pretty much became kind of full time mm-hmm. with Eightfold. And I was at that point in time, not, we didn't know what a director was. We all kind of just like did everything. And that's kind of like what the first few years of Eightfold looked like. And then, and then we started kind of figuring out roles and the different hats and why it's important to actually have one person that is kind of leading the vision for a project and, you know, a lot of growing pains and everything along the way. But yeah, that's, yeah. So you went to school, you went to college in Michigan, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. And then you guys have stayed in the Michigan area. It's interesting to me because I feel like when you're first finding filmmaking, you kind of think to yourself, like, I really can't do this unless I'm in New York or I'm out in LA or, you know, the Southern California area. And so I'm really impressed that your partner now was doing so well in college with this company and creating such a diverse portfolio. But okay, so Detroit is a huge hub for the automotive industry. Has it been easy for you guys or has it been challenging to kind of tap into that field and maintain unique creativity if you do get gigs with brands out there? It is tremendously difficult. And we've had periods of success and periods of failure. We've had moments where we're like, we broke through, we're in, and then we don't hear from them or do any work in automotive for six months. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very difficult, largely because the people who have these big budgets, a lot of times they don't want to, if they have the money to afford bringing somebody in from LA or New York, a lot of times they want to do that. There's this conception that 
if you live in LA or New York, you're a better filmmaker. And it's, it's definitely not true um, in entirety by any means. There's definitely exceptions to that. But I, you know, I, in, in their defense, there is a, the pool of serious filmmakers in New York and Los Angeles is tremendously larger than here. Mm-hmm. And so I think we are a rare breed and I think most people that take it as seriously as we do are no longer here. So I think, you know, it, I, I do understand why it's difficult for, for them to wrap their head around that. But then there's, there's all, there's all like political things of if it's the middle of winter, they could go with us or they could go with a LA based production company and they can just go hang out in the sunshine for two weeks. So yeah. like, those are things working against us as well that are just kind of out of our control, but our way to get off the defensive and to try and actually fight against that has, has not been to just sit back and complain about not getting Detroit work, but it's been to try and if Detroit doesn't want us per se, then we're going to, you know, try and get work outside of the state. And so I think that's been a good strategy for us. That's, that's helped because I think it's kind of one of those things where people don't want you until they see other people want you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's true in any career, any industry or relationship, you know, (laughs) like, no, like, yeah, you're, you're uninterested in the person you're dating. And then if your best friend were to start dating them, like things would change, you know, you (laughs) start kicking yourself. So analogy. I think that's what we're doing right now. We're just we're just trying to go date there somebody else so that they'll they'll realize their mistake, I guess. Yeah, so what kind of opportunities do you think you have been able to have because you have stayed in the Midwest versus moving to a New York or to an LA? The pro and con list is enormous on both sides. I'll say for me probably the biggest a couple of the biggest positives are the pool of competition is much smaller. So it's much easier to be a, a big fish in a small pond. But at the same time, there's, there's far less competition here, but there's also far less opportunities. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of those things where it's like, you can go to LA, way more competition, but potentially a lot more opportunities. So there's trade-offs. And then the other thing, I think for me, the biggest reason why we're still here and have a presence here is because the resources that we can have here, we simply would not be able to have in Los Angeles. We have, we have a 7,000 square foot building with a psych wall infinity stage in the back where we can do our own productions. We can rent it out. We've kind of created this like artist community that's really fun to be a part of, even though it's not something that's necessarily benefiting us monetarily. It's just kind of like a cool community that we've been able to be a part of. And so, you know, our, our building is 1% as expensive as it would be in Los Angeles. Like there's just simply no way any production company could ever afford the building that we're in out there. But in, in Detroit, like, you know, three, four years ago when we got it, like it was, it's much more affordable. So Detroit, especially it's rapidly evolving and becoming more and more of a, you know, developed and full running economy. It still has a little bit of the like wild, wild west sense to it. Like two years ago, we wanted to go out and film this guy getting pulled behind an SUV on a snowboard 
And so we like went out to the street, we built a ramp out of snow and like plywood. And then he like went, hit the jump, went up and scraped on something, came down and a cop literally drove right by us. And he just like, I watched him cause I was, I was up away from the group. So he passed them. And then by the time he got to me, he had turned back forward and he just started laughing to himself. And they just drove away. So like <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't get away with stuff like that anywhere else. So I think Definitely. those are some of the little things that make it fun. But I guess the last thing I'll say, I think probably the biggest negative to being in Michigan is the lack of just collaboration and creative conversations, which again, that's partly the reason I started the podcast. It's why, you know, I think what you're doing is great. You and if you live in LA, you can go to a coffee shop and run into another filmmaker, and mm-hmm. you can go to the bar and your bar and you know the person serving you is going to be an actor. Like it's it's everywhere. It's it's the lifeblood. But here, it's like I could run around with a megaphone for two days, yelling like, "Are there any filmmakers here?" <laughs> and I wouldn't find anybody. So it'd be crickets. <laughs> exactly. So I want to talk about your company, Eightfold, because we have like mentioned the name of it a couple of times. So on your guys' site, you talk about how you are a collaborative group of filmmakers and artists, and your team co-creates for clients. And this type of production process like allows you guys to have very diverse budgets, very diverse styles, maybe more flexible timelines. And as you guys have stated it, your culture of togetherness allows you to explore ideas greater than those that you could if you were taking on jobs separately, uh, maybe as just freelancers trying to do it all. Can you elaborate on what it means to you guys to co-create with like this highly collaborative team of artists that you kind of employ? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's, it's an ever evolving thing, but I'll say it this way in the film industry, especially commercial and commercial production, the director is, is kind of put on this pedestal. It's kind of like, it's a very director driven industry and you can't entirely get around that. That's kind of just the way it is, the way it's built. And I, you know, there's reasons for that, but I think, what we have always been trying to do is to fight back against that a little bit in that like there's a lot of production companies who are nothing more than a website and a list of names that they have relationships with maybe they're exclusive relationships but likely they're just a list of people that they have relationships with who they can then bid out on jobs Mm -hmm. and i think like for us what makes us a little different is that, and we do, we do have relationships with people like that, but if we're more than that and that we have, like I said, we actually have a brick and mortar building. We actually have a space that we can meet in. We have directors who collaborate and work together. It's not on every job that that happens, but like most production companies aren't going to have a director helping another director at a treatment or like the ability to scale up and down. And I, and I think what we mean by that, that scalability is because we came from the world of direct to client, super small, low budget. And we worked our way up into like working with ad agencies. We know how to do that. Like we know how to work with a manufacturing company that doesn't have a marketing department and hasn't updated their website since 1984. We know that side of it. And so like, 
we have filmmakers that are part of our community who are maybe they were past intern or maybe they're somebody who has experience from a narrative standpoint, but they're trying to build like a commercial portfolio. You can use that as an opportunity to grow that director. And then in addition to that, we're able to help out the company and, and we're breaking even and we, we get to feel like we're giving back a little bit because we're giving people opportunities that maybe wouldn't have had them uh, on their own. So that's essentially what it is. And it's, like I said, at the beginning of that, it's, it's ever evolving. Like we've changed our website a whole bunch of times. We changed the copy a bunch and I don't think there's any reason to like hide that. You know, I think just, just like people evolve, the company evolves as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like Chase the House is kind of evolving our website to fit what we are. Um, but how have you seen your guys' clients kind of latch on to your ideas and your production process and kind of appreciate the way you guys run a shoot versus if they went to a huge agency that was just pulling in their like affiliates, for lack of a better term, for each set? Yeah, well, I guess I'll just give a recent example of this project we did with a small PR agency and the budget was, was very tiny and they were, it wasn't handled like a typical, a typical advertising agency. Usually the way it goes is there's already a script. There's already a predetermined look in a sense. And then they'll reach out to production companies to essentially execute what they've come up with. And as the director, you're tasked with putting your own creative flair on it, making it better. So the difference in this project for Airfoil, which was called uh, Salute to Journalists, was a really cool opportunity to kind of highlight journalists as the kind of unsung heroes of especially the pandemic in the last eight months. And so all they had was that idea. They didn't have copy. They didn't have a script. They didn't know the duration. They didn't know who was in it. And so where I think the eightfold model comes into that is that we had the ability to write the copy ourselves, to develop the creative with them and almost acting like both the ad agency and the production company. And I think the reason that spot was as successful as it was, was because the client was very hands-off and they had a lot of trust in us. And unfortunately, that's rarely the case. And I understand why, because mm -hmm. there's money on the line. And then, and I think also you get, when there's a lot of people, everyone feels like they need to prove their worth, need to prove why they're there. And so a lot of times you'll have people make input that they maybe don't truly even believe in, but they haven't done anything yet. So they kind of feel like they need to say something. So not having any of that was an absolute treat. But yeah, that's just one small example. I think like a lot of production companies maybe don't have the capabilities or the background in like copywriting or the background in just kind of entirely starting from scratch with something and building it out. I also noticed that you guys really put an emphasis on the fact that your team can develop and execute not only video campaigns, but still image campaigns as well. And I thought that was interesting because with the current age of the internet, it seems like so many brands have acknowledged this like huge shift toward video and motion graphics on social in order to get the attention of their like target audience. But why do you guys think that it's still worth like marketing your photography 
and your ability to create a stills campaign? The idea of adding that was, was my partner Nick's and it was like one of the best ideas he's ever had. And it, it's kind of surprising. It took us as long as it did to get to it because really what spurred it is so often we would be bidding on a project and they would ask if we could do photography as well. Like they wanted, they would want to do a photography delivery as well as the video package. So that was largely why we did it so that we could, we wouldn't have to be like, Oh yeah, we know some photographers and then try and work it in. We could actually have, a portfolio to display. And so that's kind of where that started. And then we already, we just had so many photographers in our community, people who use our studio or just people that have been around that we've known. So it just made a lot of sense. But I don't think we ever really thought that we would get exclusive photography. I mean, we hoped we would, but like, Mm -hmm. we didn't think we'd you know, make much or, or actually get a lot of like exclusive photography projects. But like, six months or so after we started it, we got like a really big project through Pier, Michigan. We basically were going all over the state capturing photos. And so we sent one of our photographers out and yeah, it went great. And it was like photography, it's I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but like it's so much less complicated than video. It's the photographer. And then if they're using a flash, they do there's lighting sometimes but a lot of times it's natural like you can just show up with your one camera bag and get these incredible shots and you're out of there whereas like with film production you have like a 30 person team and but i definitely don't think photography's dying by any sense it'll always be there just like just like film though it's it's evolving so definitely for the pure michigan campaign i mean you didn't have to bring anything but the camera because the whole point of it obviously i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm guessing that the whole point was to have the natural light and to go where there wouldn't be any like setup anyways so that i mean that's awesome so in your opinion do you think there ever will be kind of a shift back toward campaigns leaning into stills versus like do you think video will ever die out it's it's hard because and i I think just what i've seen is this since i started until now content is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter like it was like the standard where it was like 30 and 60 second spots what we did a lot of were either shorter than that or longer than that. We would do a lot of like these long form, like two, three, two, three minute things. But then we do a lot of like 15 second or like they'd want like six second clips and stuff like that. So you can only get so small until it just turns into subliminal messaging. I do think we're kind of getting to a point already where we're starting to see longer content, especially I think Europe is ahead of us. Volvo and companies like that, they're investing in making like a five, 10 minute short film that is something that's engaging in and of itself. It has a narrative to it. To me, a six second ad is is like subliminal advertising. There are some creative ones that were like, I'm like, wow, you really told a story, made me laugh, engaged me in six seconds. That's incredible. But I think the vast majority are literally like rub on and apply directly to your forehead. It yeah. like plays that twice and that's the ad. It's like, that's kind of what it all feels like to me. I don't know. Who knows? Like, I think like VR and all of that, like that's a whole nother world where it's like the whole augmented reality where you're like in the future, we're going to be walking down the street and you're going to see things like advertisements that are like holograms. Like I'm I'm sure that's, that's all like 
coming, but I don't know. I, I feel like, especially now in COVID, like there's more of a need for video and entertainment than ever before. Especially, I know some people in, in LA and like TV shows are just getting greenlit like crazy. It's it's like at the fa- at the TV factory, and I just imagine some man and like the guy running it's like, we need more content because everyone's just like consuming like crazy. So yeah. it's a great time to be a screenwriter out there, probably. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, you guys will have to change your copy again if you have to start diving into hologram advertising yeah. and <laughs> specializing yeah. in that. I, find, I I totally think the older I get, the more I relate to like old, old people. Cause it's just like, I just remember them always being like, ah, oh, back in my day, like things were better and everything was real and not. And I, you know, when you're young, you're always just like, yeah, you're, you're just old. But now, you know, I'm, I just turned 30 and I'm already kind of like, ah, I don't want to do VR. I don't want to do, you know, 4D and all that. I want to just like shoot real normal stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I, like I definitely relate to old people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a natural progression of life. You try so hard not to fall into those ways and then you realize yeah. like down the line that you did it. <laughs> You're like, I'm always, I'll always evolve. But then as soon as you like, get good at something you're like wait no i'm good at that i don't want that to go away <laughs> no I, kidding I, I get it i get it so you guys also produced a short film as well that i watched and i was super intrigued by it's called speed and i know yeah. that your partner um he was like listed as a director on that yeah. so Maybe you don't have as much to say about it, but I feel like one, there needs to be a feature link portion of that film because there's, I had so many questions, but as a group, you guys have been pretty successful in the commercial world already. So what motivated, whether it be the whole company or just your partner into creating that kind of authentic narrative short piece? I mean, creating content like that is far more enjoyable for us than commercials. Nick and I always joke that like we do commercials so that we can use the profits to make our own films. Like neither of us would be in this industry if we wanted to just like be rich, you know, it's not like there's a way, I think even in this industry, there's a way you could just do it for the money. We've found things, certain kind of like levels of projects that we know we could get consistently. They're very easy we could churn it out and like capitalize on it. You know, when you get more efficient, when you do the same thing over and over again. And I think in a sense, like creatives, like they think the opposite way of people who can really like monetize something sometimes, not to say creatives, you know, can't make a lot of money because they definitely can. But I think like, it's almost backward thinking. Like if you're really good at something and you can just do it for cheaper and cheaper, you, you would think you would just do that and like you'd be killing it. But for us, it's like, as soon as we do something, we never want to do the same thing again. If there's not a new approach or I can try some new equipment or a new technique, or it's at least like a new relationship with somebody new, but like I could never do work with the same company, the same kind of video for them like yearly on like some retainer basis. Like we just could never do that. So, you know, back to your original question, I think like, and I think the other, the other thing too, is that you are never going to be hired to film things that you don't already have in your portfolio. So I think so often people are like, Oh, I'm not getting any cool work. And like, why would anyone give you cool work if you don't have cool work? (laughs) It's that whole, it's the catch 22 thing of like, 
How do you get a job if you need to have a resume to get a job? And so I think the way around that in filmmaking, and I know it's, it's something that's not as accessible for everybody, but if you have the ability to get a camera and go shoot something on your own, make something that you would like to get paid to make. You know, and I think for us to get paid to, to make content like Speed, where we're getting to know interesting characters and telling their story, like that's something that we really enjoy. And, and we also enjoy the narrative world as well. Like I've done, I've done several shorts and I'm going to be doing another short next month. And I think it's about keeping one foot in both worlds. Keep those things as balanced as you can. Do you have narrative ideas like kind of in your back pocket at all times in case you do run into some time and some money to start making it? I've gone through phases with writing where I'll write a lot and then I am uninspired and don't really write anything. But right now, I think same as a lot of people where we had a lot of downtime during COVID. I've been writing a lot. And so I have one of the shorts that I wrote, we're going to be filming uh, in a couple months here. I think that the other thing about writing too is, and I was just, my partner, I was talking about this the other day is like filmmaking is expensive, but writing is free. And so if you don't have the money to go shoot something, you always have the money to put pen to paper. Like even if you don't have a computer, you can still write. There's like such an immensely strong correlation to being able to tell a story on paper and being able to tell a story through the lens like very, very few directors at like the very top, very few of them aren't writers as well. Eventually, a lot of directors maybe graduate to a place where they're not having to write, they're directing scripts that are being given to them, but they, most of them started as writers. And I, cause I think that's something you kind of need to have in your DNA, the ability to know structure and be able to write. And I think that's super important. I feel like the two most important things to either understand really well or preferably be able to do yourself is writing. And I think the other thing is editing. I've always edited and it's tremendously helpful on set when you can think about what you're filming through an editor's mindset and you know if something's going to cut. Like, or I know if I shoot a scene, do I have enough coverage? I don't know how people who don't have an editing background can do that. Like if you don't have the experience of juxtaposing images into a timeline and knowing that it's going to tell a story, like if there's any directors listening to this, I think that's the two most important things is the ability to write and the ability to edit. No, those are great tips. I agree with that a lot. I think it helps so much going on set, knowing how it can be edited. And I'm sure that's helped you guys a lot. And a lot of the production sets you've been on and a lot of things that you've directed too. So I know we're almost up on time, but I have one more question. What has been the proudest moment of your career since you started filmmaking and decided to jump into this you know, company that your friend and now partner had kind of already started? It's funny because... What I'm going to say, which I think is my proudest moment, was almost immediately followed by like the darkest point of my (laughs) career because it was kind of like a mountaintop experience that then like set this bar so high for me that like it just kind of put me in a downward spiral when I wasn't getting more opportunities like this. And then kind of I ended up burning out hardcore and 
going away from filmmaking for a while, but crawled back out, obviously. <laughs> but anyway, I like what that situation was, was I mentioned the Pure Michigan photography campaign that we did, but a year before that, we did a, a national broadcast commercial, like, like film commercial uh, production for them. It was definitely like the healthiest budget we've ever worked with. It was just this amazing opportunity. We got to go to the UP and film for three days. We had like a week off and then we came back to Detroit and filmed in Detroit for three days. And there was just this moment where we were filming in this apartment complex that we had rented and we had the bottom room we had like set decorated because we had turned it into a bedroom for one scene and then the next floor we had someone's apartment decorated because we were doing like a different vignette in there and then outdoors we were getting ready for the scene a car was like gonna pick somebody up and drive away and we had like a rain machine out there like i just came out of our craft area which is you know where you get snacks and food and whatnot and i came out and i just like i just pulled out my my phone and i just filmed it and i just walked through them like building the rain machine people like putting up a light on like a condor like lighting through the second story window then i came inside and saw them building out in there it was just like people everywhere and an rv and all these vehicles and lights it was just like crazy thinking about the fact that my partner and I came up with an idea for this campaign, sold the agency on it. And then several weeks later, we're just standing here and making that dream become a reality. It was just like super surreal. So I, I think like that was definitely a moment where I was like, this is, this is crazy. And I want to do this every day. But like I said, that mountaintop experience sometimes comes with a harsh reality when you wake up the next morning and realize like you're going to get more opportunities like that, but it's not going to be every day that what that taught me is I've gotten a little bit better at like managing my highs and lows. I think like that's, that's what age and experience does. I'm sure I'm going to struggle still all the time, but hopefully I'll be a little bit better at managing those. Well, that's really exciting. I can imagine like how surreal that would be just being on huge production sets and so many people having different roles and just running all over the place and setting up beautiful, you know, sets with lighting. And like you said, like you had a rain machine. It's so fun to be a part of, like you almost don't really want the shoot to end, <laughs> you know, even though, you know, it has to like. A lot of times I'll dread it starting just cause I'm so nervous mm -hmm. about all the, the variables but then yeah when it when it ends it always reminds me of like it's a very similar feeling to coming home from like camp when you were little especially if you didn't you didn't really know everybody when you went but by the time you're coming back or by the time it ends like you're best friends with everybody mm -hmm. and I think like sometimes you went through hell together sometimes it wasn't that bad but like it's this bonding thing that's yeah there's nothing like it everyone coming together and at 2 a.m. and standing in the when it's 40 degrees out and you got a rain machine like there's there's nothing like that yeah for sure um well this has been so much fun thank you for coming on and like sharing a little bit about you know how you found filmmaking and then your company that you you guys are very successful and please make a feature length of speed if you guys haven't looked at it please go to their website and check out Speed. You're gonna have so many questions and you're gonna 
think the same thing. Uh, I'll pass that on to Nick. He'll okay. Be- <laughs> also, you guys have a podcast as well. Everyone should go check it out. It's called Direct to Podcast. You and your co-host talk with directors from all over the world, and it can be found I'm on Apple and Spotify. We have a little blog that we've been uploading show notes to that it's just direct the number two podcast.com. Perfect. Awesome. All right, guys, that is it for today. And we will see you next week. 